NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. For the next 40 minutes or so, you're going to be a fly on the wall during a conversation that I had with Juan Mendiola and his wife. As you're about to hear, this was not an interview. It was a discussion recorded in the Mendiola's living room. This is Season 10, Episode 23, The Mendiola's Part 1. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier this month, I made a trip down to Houston, as all of you know. One of the main purposes of the trip was to reconnect with Catalina's nephew, Juan. It had been months since we last spoke. I wanted to fill him in on the progress of our investigation, as well as ask him some follow-up questions now that we have a much better understanding of the case. I stopped by early in the afternoon one day and ended up speaking with Juan through his Ring video doorbell. He wasn't at home, but he asked me to come back around 7.30 that evening. When I returned, Juan invited me in and asked me to have a seat in the living room. As I settled in on the couch, Juan sat about 10 feet to my left on a love seat. And to my right sat his lovely wife, and an older woman who I can only assume is Juan's mother-in-law. His wife and mother-in-law were at the dining room table, about 15 feet to my right. I'm only telling you that to tell you this. After Juan and I chatted for a few minutes, I asked him if he minded if I recorded our conversation for the show. He agreed, and I quickly fired up my shotgun mic. And I I promise this is going somewhere. For those of you who don't know, a shotgun mic is a directional microphone that's used to pick up voices in a single direction from a distance. I bought the mic during COVID so that I wouldn't have to touch people putting a lapel mic on their shirts. And here's where all this comes together. I have a mic that only records in one direction. Juan is to my left, and his wife is to my right. Like a long-distance Bob Sandwich. As Juan and I began chatting, his wife chimed in with some useful information. It ends up becoming a three-way conversation with me in the middle swinging my mic back and forth like a cameraman at a tennis match. The moral of the story, Mike and I did our very best to make this sound as good as possible, but please be patient with us if the episode doesn't quite sound like a studio interview. And with all that being said, I'll get right into the discussion. I ended up spending about two hours with the Mendiolas and was recording for a large portion of that time, which is why this is going to be broken up into two episodes. Here's part one of the Mendiolas. Now you went and you moved the car, right? You got the car out of there? Yeah, I probably did. After the, after the, after the, after the investigation, after the the investigation, yeah. Right. Because I was not even... I was at the ba- I was working. Uh-huh. I got the call, so I had to come all the way down mm-hmm. from downtown. And so by the time I got there, it was like a 
go over to the yellow tape. Right. You know? Just crime scene. Back to, you know, back to where um, my, my putting it, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, sure, they were, but it's not like the same thing as, whoa, just happened. Right. It had been a little while. Yeah. It yeah. had been at least an hour. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it would that take me. Day, uh, I spoke to her that day with them when it happened. You spoke to Catalina? Yeah. I'm sorry, are are you... She's my wife. That's your wife, okay. I spoke to her at uh, around 7.30 that day that she's going to come and pick me up. She was going to come and pick you up? Yeah, because every Tuesday, that's her day off from church. Okay. So she called me at 7.30 because he's already at work. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, she said that I'm I'm coming at around 8 o'clock to pick you up. She normally take me at the the mall that day. Uh Uh-huh. And I was dressed. I was already ready, waiting for her. And I received a call from the police instead of her. Oh, wow. Because I, I was the one, the last one that she called. That was. So, yeah, I didn't know that because the police, did the police, did they ever talk to you? Yeah. They did talk to you? Yeah, because when, when they called, I spoke to them and they said, hey, uh, I'm waiting for my aunt. Right. She's supposed to come over and pick me up and said, no, this is a, a police. Uh, she's being murdered. I said no, she's not because I just spoke to her about half an hour ago. Oh wow! And 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 um, did you? Because you would, I think you had said that you talked to her that morning too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. He was at work, yeah. and we called him, and he came over, and then we went over there, and that's how we. Uh, that's how you found out. Yeah. But did you talk to Catalina that morning? No, I I don't think so. No, no. I don't think I did because uh, when I go, I go early. Uh huh. I would go early and. She was an early person, but uh, not that early. So right. She wouldn't, you know, eh. unless she had something to tell me or I had something to tell her. I mean, it was only after work. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. So, see, these are some of the things that we're trying to, like, in the police report, nothing's mentioned about you talking to her that morning, but the police reports say that you spoke to her that morning at 8 o'clock. It's that was me. No, uh, that one is that was, me. That was you. Yeah. Okay. Because this is the call at home because the phone is registered under his name. Uh-huh. But a, uh, the police called at home and I spoke to them. Okay. And it called directly from her apartment. So I picked up the phone. And then when I picked up the phone, there was a police. Did you talk to her very often? Did you guys? Yeah. She she called me. She comes here and like I said, that she comes back. She comes here and stopping by and then goes to her apartment because she, she volunteered at church. Uh-huh. Every day except Tuesday. Okay. So that was her only day off. That's only her, yeah. yeah. And then a, uh, in the afternoon, she walked to uh, the neighborhood to walk. Uh-huh. And that girl, that a, uh, her name is a, uh, what's her name? Jennifer? Jennifer, yeah. She lives on top of the apartment. Mm-hmm. Whenever she cooked my aunt, because she, she likes to cook. Uh-huh. Sometimes she gave her food. She would give it. So, and that's that's interesting. So the, the apartment above Jennifer was staying there with, but it, but she wasn't the one that normally lived there. So there was a girl named Eva that lived up there. I think so. So it must have been Eva that she would share food with. Did did she ever talk to either of you guys about being afraid about anything at the apartment or no? no. So no, otherwise, I would. I would she's happy in that apartment. But no, she was in heaven. Okay, she used to live here. Uh huh. I had her in here before I met her. Uh huh. 
And once she came into the house, she got that felt kind of like third wheel. Right. So she said, I'm going to get an apartment. And once she got her mind set, forget it. Right. And I was hesitant. And, you know, that's one of the things I always kick myself for, you know. I said, well, okay, if you want to go, go. I figured it was just a short, you know. Just right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? But, uh, you know. She seems like she's such an independent independent woman. And and when she got up, after some time of being over there, all I could hear from her church friends was praised. I mean, that, you know, she was so happy and she... She was so happy that she could have parties. Uh-huh. And, yeah, parties for, for the church group. Right. <laughs> and that she could do whatever she wants. Because in the house here, you know, uh, the feeling is that, well, uh, you know, not mine. You know, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah. So it's kind of like, I understood that. I, I understood that. But, I mean, yeah, that's the way she was. So the, do you think... Well, I guess I should. You're probably not aware of this at all because it's documented. So she had been complaining to the management about the woman that lived upstairs, about excessive traffic coming in and out, and parties and loudness. And and she had told her the day before the murder, she had went in and and told the management that she was afraid of the girl upstairs. Or the the people in and out of upstairs. It's possible. She would not tell me. That's what I was wondering. Because you know? it, I would probably react to you're out of there. Right. You'd have got her got her right out yeah. of there. Yeah. If that, she would if if there was any any um suspicion that I had mm-hmm. that she would be in danger. It mind you, when I say in danger I mean somebody just robbing her for that matter. Right. Nobody thinks of Okay, just a, a simple yeah. yeah. Just some simple, some idiot out there banging on the door or whatever, or causing her grief. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But that type of, you know, Mickey Mouse stuff, I would have still pulled her out. Right. And she probably knew that. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, yeah. you got plenty of room. It's not like I was, but like I say, in her mind, she kind of felt that she was intruding. So that makes sense that she wouldn't, because did she ever say anything to you about being afraid of anybody in the... No, the only thing that she she mentioned <clears> that <throat> lady would knock her door and borrow some electric iron and borrow some, some stuff, but she constantly knocking to to borrow something. The one from upstairs? Yeah. Would borrow stuff from her. Yeah. So, so, so they, she knew her pretty well then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because she said that every time that she she walks, but... She said that a uh, she's not the only one who lives there. Right. But that I don't I don't know because that's that's what she said. But there are some other people that a uh, comes and goes in that house. But she didn't say anything that she's never said she was or afraid or anything. Or anything. Yeah. And she wouldn't. Uh, she was also not the. Uh, she wouldn't complain. She would. She's her her deal was she was. Over, overly friendly. I mean, you know, it's just mm-hmm. one of those people very just, you know, would come up to you and start conversation. Right. You know, would not, not knowing who the heck you are. That makes sense. So, okay. she, it, in my mind, it's not a, it's not a matter of not being afraid of you. It's a matter of innocence. I mean, it's just kind of like everybody's mm-hmm. good. Right. 
Yeah, and th- that makes a little sense too because the 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 leasing agents report on where she wrote wrote a letter to the police about the complaints and things said that she had come in several times and had complained, but she wouldn't say which apartment it was. Supposedly this was a robbery, but they didn't take anything. You know, they somebody had told me it was for the car keys. Right. Well, that's that was the police theory that they have because they couldn't find. That's what I was going to ask you about when you moved the for the car keys. Yeah. Did they tell you that they that they never found her original keys? Uh, no, I don't remember. I that I don't remember. No, the keys. In, I don't uh, remember any. We of could it. not. Uh, they could not find any keys. That's why we have to change all our doors. Oh, all, all the locks. Yeah. All the okay. locks. I have to change all the locks. Because you have to lock she the house. Our, she has a locks on. Uh, she has a keys on the, all these locks. So right. That night, we he has to go change it because hmm. they could find a key. Right, so that makes sense. So that that's so that's confirmed. They really c- couldn't find the key. So the keys were gone. But then, the, you know, the question was if they took the keys because they wanted to, you know, if they killed her for the car, the car was right there. They're right there. It never, you they, know, it wasn't moved or anything. Why not take you know, the car? They, they, I guess, I guess, as the saying goes, they panic. Yeah, well, whatever. So, so we had, I had an, an FBI profiler, the guy's name is Jim Clementi, um, look at the case file and analyze it. And, and give me his opinion on it. And his was the same as mine. I'm mean, obviously much more in depth. I'm not a profiler, but he doesn't think that this was a robbery at all. He, 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 ter- he categorized this as what they call a personal cause homicide, meaning what it looks like is that someone came, went in the house and with, within seconds immediately went straight to her, killed her, grabbed the keys to make it, to try to stage it to look like a robbery and got out of there. And so we're trying to figure out who could possibly have a problem a problem with her. When when they say when they said that the girl was on drugs, and I don't remember who. Okay, but somebody somebody told me that the girl was on drugs. In my mind, I said, "Well, I guess that explains why they were so savage about it." Right. But now, if you throw cold water on the girl being on drugs, it's kind of like hmm. Somebody yeah, really out for blood, yeah. Yeah, something's not right. And that's and the only conflict that I've been able I mean, because you're our only source of of victimology for her because she, she didn't have any other living relatives or anybody, so but from what you would describe to me, I can't imagine anyone had a problem with her. Is there is there is there was there ever any issue? what did she do when she volunteered for the church? Were there ever was there did she ever come in contact there where somebody might have a problem with her? Yeah. yeah. Because even afterwards, I mean, most of the people that she knew, I knew. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, like I said, all I received was positive comments once she moved. Mm-hmm. And then upon her death, the same thing, the same, you know, why, why, why? I mean, she wouldn't, she's not, she wouldn't hurt a, a person. Right. Because like I said, I mean, her... Her uh, downfall was basically, you know, she's over loving. I mean, just a very, uh, very sweet lady. Mm. We are more afraid of her yeah. walking around than herself. She she loves to walk in the afternoon in mm-hmm. the neighborhood, and we keep telling her that a uh, don't do that because it's dark and nobody knows that a uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So, oh, there! I'm safe here. I'm safe. She's just walking all around the, the uh, apartment. Wow. 
So I don't think that she has any, you know, enemy around there. Yeah, the only the only thing that I've been able to identify at all is so I was before I did this I was a firefighter and arson investigator. Now I say when you, when we were investigating a tricky fire, right? You can't figure out where it started. I always go back to what was what changed. You know, there's 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 always a catalyst, right? And if and, and a lot of times through an interview we could figure out, you know, I don't know what happened then they were like, you know, walk me through your day and like, oh, oh yeah, well I I started up my space heater out in the garage just because I was working out there for a few minutes and lo and behold, there it is, or a car fire, you know, what changed? Nothing. I just drove. I mean, I got an oil change and then you look and finally left the oil cap off. You know, you're always looking for that thing that changed. And the only, it seems like too much of a coincidence for me that she had gone in and complained about the girl that lived upstairs. I don't remember any uh, them telling me about a complaint. Did you? No. Like I said, she never said anything about Nobody complaint. Told me, no, no, he, somebody else telling me that she had complained. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, like here? No. Right. And she had loud noises or anything, next door neighbor having a party yeah. or whatnot, shoot. She enjoyed it. She wouldn't enjoy it. I mean, she, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, it's lively. <laughs> right. <laughs> they So they said, what's interesting is the, the apartment manager, so everybody, everything gets weird here, right? Because they... They interview everybody up front, like right afterwards, and they all say what they think happened. And then they take Jennifer in and they get her to confess. And then they go back and interview these people and all their stories are very, very different. Now, so the apartment manager, the, who the, the lady from upstairs ran and got when she heard the voices and stuff. And there's a lot more to her story too. But, uh, when she talked to police immediately, the first thing she told them was th- that that Catalina had just complained about Eva, the girl upstairs the day before, and that she had then gone and told Eva that day that if she doesn't knock it off, then she's going to be kicked out of there later. By the time she's interviewed again, after Jennifer Jeffley's arrested, everything is fine with Eva and everything is, is she's, she's pointing at, at Jennifer. For example, in her first statement to police, she says that Eva came running in and said, you need to come help the woman below my apartment's dead. Which she shouldn't have known because she wasn't inside. But then after Jennifer's arrested, then it changes to, well, she just came in and said the lady needs help. But were you, were you aware of the whole narrative they had that, that the story, as the story went, that the, the Eva upstairs heard screaming, goes down the stairs and is yelling, is everything okay? And that she hears like a man's voice pretending to be a woman's voice yelling from... I think I do remember something about that. Right. Um, the exact words, uh, but uh, in, taken individually, yeah, I, I kind of remember each of those words. Mm-hmm. But how they worded, how they... Mm, and who said it? Mm. So how how much did they share with you along? I mean, I, obviously they talked to you the day of. Uh, Normally, we're together. Uh huh. So if they shared anything, she would know also. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, very little was shared. Very little other than the fact that, uh, this woman's a drug addict. She's trying to steal the car. Um, that's basically something else I forgot. That's basically, I mean, that's about it. That's about it. So when you come around Mm. and you tell me this stuff, um, yeah, okay. Yeah, 
I'll I'll have to. Because I mean, it's not like you're coming out from way left field. No, it's a, the things are are there. Right. I mean, it's kind of like uh, I don't know. I'm not I'm not an investigator. Right. But if somebody tells me if what I think already I was seeing that they hadn't done shit with with a girl, I mean, basically, you know, uh, it's kind of like, oh, we got her killer. Like, oh yeah. Why do I hear this that there was another person in here? Why was there a second voice? Why is there? Uh, right. And besides, physically, uh, Gata was bigger. Right. Okay. And while she may not, she's she was an older person. That doesn't mean she was frail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she wasn't frail at all. I mean, right. She she would out, out, outpace me sometimes. I mm-hmm. mean. And she was one of those busy bees. Bzz, 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 right. okay. so. Shit. <laughs> I think that's probably why she made it uh, by the door. Yeah. That's how they found her. Well, she was definitely, I think, in my crime scene reconstruction, I think it seems that she was in the kitchen, was doing something in the kitchen. Like, uh, like it, she, her medications were out. And, and the fact that you said she's off work on Tuesdays makes sense. Because she had, on the in the crime scene photos, one of those little pill containers with the days of the week on it and uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday were empty as though she had just taken it, but all her pill bottles were out and open. And, you know, she wasn't on any opioids. She had iron pills and and a lot of digestive pills and stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't even on heart medicine, was she? No. No. And it, it, it looked like to me, like she was maybe, Ref- she was organizing and refilling that thing. So, so maybe Tuesday was her day she did that because she was off that day. But I think she was in the kitchen doing that. And then whoever came in, they just, but it, it looks like she had the sliding glass door open. That's where, that's where went in. Yeah. And the, the screen door was closed and she, lo- she was, she was sharp enough to lock the screen door. You know, that that's not going to stop many, you know, they were able to grab it, bend it. Looks like they maybe used a tool and bent the screen door off. And it looks like she, I mean, I think the whole thing happened in seconds. It looks like she took off and darted for that front door and they met her right then. This is the same thing. The FBI guy that looked at it said, it's like, this wasn't, they weren't trying to rob her. And then things got out of hand. They went in there and just attacked her. And the, the only reason I could find for him to do that, there's the complaint with the girl upstairs. That seems extreme, obviously, but then there's especially like I said, it's, it's totally out of character. Right. I don't think that, I don't think that's not her. I don't think it's, she's the one who complained because she doesn't. She's not that person. She's not. She's not the type. Nah. Yeah, I'll have to show you. And unless the apartment manager's made up, but there was two, three different apartment staff that all noted that well, the complaints. I mean, but I could see why. From what you said, I could totally see why she wouldn't tell you. No, she would if she liked her apartment, I she, would be the last one to know. Yeah, because she because she knows that you'd come tell her yeah. to get out of there. Yeah, um, and it shouldn't be that like you can't imagine a complaint like that leading to that. But then we find out it's not confirmed, but it's it seems like from the evidence and rumors and and, and work we've done on it that the girl upstairs, not Jennifer, the other Eva, the twenty four year old, lived up there. She was a she was a dancer at a at a, at a strip club around here, but then. We think we think that she might have been doing sex work out of out of the apartment up there, 
So then that adds a whole other element to it. If somebody starts complaining about the traffic up there and, and she might, yeah. she might be getting kicked out of there. Um, I don't know. It, it, I don't think that she went down and killed her either. I think that whoever did it had, there's gotta be, there's that change, right? There's gotta be a catalyst there, especially because it's, you know, nobody plans a murder at nine o'clock in the morning, you know? No, especially, I mean, <laughs> in broad especially daylight. drug addicts. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems like something, someone came into this, you know, whether, whether it was, as Jennifer said, it was the guy, cause you know, in her, in her confession, if, I'll have, before I leave here today, I'll have to get your email address and I can send you some of these documents if you're interested. Okay. Her confession, the story is two days before this, these two guys are over at the apartment upstairs and they look out and see this nice Honda Accord out there. And say, man, we should steal this car. Of all the cars, that's the great car they want to steal. And they say that if they if they steal it with the car key instead of hot wiring it, they can get more money for it. So they need to know who that whose car that belongs to. And Jennifer says it's the lady downstairs. Now this is at night. This is supposedly at ten, eleven o'clock at night. It's dark out, and they say, well, we need to break in there and get those keys from her. But we're not going to do it tonight. We're going to plan and come back and do it tomorrow night, which would have been Monday. And then they don't show up Monday night. And then they come up. So, so these are sophisticated car thieves that want to steal this car and want the key. But then they, she says, then they just happen to show up at nine in the morning on Tuesday when there's people walking around all over the place and decide now's what, now's the time that we want to steal the car and they break in and the key. Since the plates she had were handicapped plates, mm-hmm. the car was up, up front and center right there. Right. Where I don't care if it's just one person. I mean, somebody's bound to be walking that area. Right. So if they would take the car, it would be, you know, at least somebody would say, well, yeah, it was a guy over there or what have you. And that's the thing is there was, there was people it was just, everywhere. It was kind of like, no. In in the witness statements that we have, so like my my trip, the, the reason I made this trip down here was to follow up with you on some of this stuff. And there's a bunch of witnesses that I want to track down. That within minutes, so we don't know what happened right before and leading up to the murder. But I mean, the murder, I mean, the, the entire thing. I I think they hopped the fence, went in, and were back out of there within two minutes. Mm-hmm. It was fast. They just it was a blitz yeah. attack. The Within the five minutes afterwards, you've got a dozen people that just happened by. You've got, you know, the guy named Red Rock and Housen who walked up to go see Eva right then. Uh, and then, uh, Ruby and Cena and Nina Sullivan all come walking over and Doris Gibson was a nurse that did CPR on her that just was walking by right then. I mean, there's, there's traffic all over the place. And I can't imagine. So it just, it's a, it's a crazy time. Nobody's buying that these guys planned to steal this car at night and then executed their plan at 9.30 in the morning, you know, on a, on a weekday with all that traffic going on. So that, may, that leads me to believe somebody, somebody came into it, whether it was if Eva upstairs truly was a sex worker, which we don't know for sure, but if she was and if, you know, one of her clients came, came right then and she shooed him away because of this lady or if it was, you know, or like pimp type character that came by and was upset about it. We just didn't uh, know. My auntie was not 
a uh, she wasn't a she didn't have a conservative view as far as sex was concerned. Okay. Okay. She was a, a little broad-minded for uh-huh. her age. Uh, and, and basically the you know her coming up and saying you know I need to give you room for your for your That's new wife. I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah. she, she's not she doesn't she was once married once upon a long ass time. Right. And so you know she's and she grew up in Laredo, lived in Laredo. Well, she didn't grow up in Laredo. But we, she lived in Laredo for, God for sake, 40, 50 years. I don't know, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Okay? Laredo's a border town. You always hear about the red, red zone. And right. It's, it's, place, it's not yeah. like, you know, yeah. oh, oh, my God. You know? Uh-huh. So I would think as long as somebody didn't do anything to her, my auntie, I think she would uh, just turn a blind eye to this whole affair. I don't think it would bother. I don't, you know, as far as complaining is concerned, unless you, I don't know, <laughs> banging the bed so damn hard that, you know, you can't sleep at night. Well, it's a, But even then, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not like she could not move out of that apartment and go to another place if she didn't like it. And, and I wondered how much, because in, in the one written complaint where it details it, she doesn't talk about it. It doesn't sound like she's talking about people going up there and having sex. She's talking. She she says that there's people out there all hours of the night having parties up there is what she's talking about. And I think you know, there's. I think there are def- uh, Jennifer's defense attorney theor- theorized that maybe they were doing drugs or something. I don't know. How many times did we go up there? Honey? We went several times over there. Several no? times. We yeah, we go. She cook at a and she would call us a come over and yeah. I'm, I'm cooking. Okay. So either either a uh, we go over there and dinner or we go and breakfast. Okay. Yeah, uh, because at lunch sometimes she's going out lunch with her friends. Mm-hmm. And then no time did I hear any racket. Nothing. And no time did I hear did I grow suspicious of her surroundings. Did you it see it like- wasn't it wasn't like you know, now if I would walk, you know, if I, she could call me for dinner and here's, here's a racket upstairs. Oh, shit, you got some neighbors. Mm-hmm. But Never had any of that. Nah. Nah. And I mean, she was there for a couple, how many months, Annie? Uh, I think it was three months. Three months? I think it was longer. I think she, I think she signed the lease in like February or March. Yeah, but she didn't move exactly in. She had to wait till to tell me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. I don't know when she. But in any case, you know, uh, the uh, <clears throat> she wouldn't be concerned about the cost, right? She could move to another place if she wanted to. So that that was another question I had financially. I saw from her in the case file her leasing documents. She didn't. You had told me before she didn't have any money. I could see, I think her her social security income was, I think, six hundred and twenty seven dollars a month. Uh, what was her total income, and because of that, her rent was like a hundred and thirty dollars yeah. a month or something like that back then. Did she have any other money? Did she have any any big savings account or life insurance or anything like that? No, none of that. Her car was her price position. Yeah, but like I say, I mean, you know, I'm here, right? So okay. she didn't anything you would. Yeah, so I mean, like when she was here, you know, she didn't have to spend any money, right? So theoretically, she. She was a saver. She liked to mm-hmm. put her away for a rainy day. So, I mean, of course, 
but just three months, I mean, down out of here, it's kind of like she's still in yeah, she's still on the honeymoon. Right. <laughs> right. Did they did so did she did did you know if she did she have a loan on that car or had she saved up and bought it? Because that car was all, was only a couple years old, wasn't it? It was new. Yeah. Uh she paid for it, I think. No? Did I pick up the note? Uh, no, I think it was already paid off. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. I think it was paid off. Uh, and she didn't have, she didn't have any money. Uh, well, insurance. no, because see what happens when she moved from Laredo to, when they moved, my mother and her, from Laredo to here, she sold her house. Uh huh. And so, the, you know, that was that money based on my mother. Okay. And then my mother was the one who would dole it out to her. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> she, she wasn't too good on finance. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, but on the other hand, she wasn't a spender. Uh-huh. She wasn't a spender. She, you know, she kind of was a saver, so. It would you, so when, after she was gone, you had, I'm sure you had to settle all of her affairs and everything. There wasn't some bank account with a bunch of money. Uh, no, in fact, is the only thing was a real estate. Uh, real estate, no? How the hell was that handled? No. She had that, the real estate was already cleared. Yeah. It was just her bank account. Just her bank and account. And I was, I was the, uh, I think I was a beneficiary. I don't know. Did we probate that will? Yeah, I think so. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Okay. Yeah, we probated her will. So there was, was there any large sum of money she had anywhere? Yeah. Nothing like that. No, she's happy with what she has. Yeah, uh, like she's... she doesn't have that much. The only thing that she's, she's a, uh, she's happy going to church and a, on her day off, she goes to the mall uh-huh. and there or meet her friends with lunch. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon she walks, and that's her life. And she was just very happy with that. Do you know? Do you know if any of her friends from church are still are still around and alive? Oh yeah, oh, yeah there's several. Oh yeah, there's a whole bunch of. Them. Do, do you have? Do you have any? Would I be able to get some names or contact information from you? But I would love to talk to some of them. Um. Or I could give you my number and see if they want to call. I don't want to bother. Yeah, give me your number yeah. and then I'll find it because yeah. I know I have her a uh, phone book. I think I still have her phone book. Yeah. There are a couple of them that were real close to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I, I don't know why. I and my new one was, I think, a deacon, no, honey? Mm-hmm. The deacon was yeah, a, the deacon, the, deacon, the father. I'll, you know, I mean, I, um, there's a church here, a uh, Catholic church. If mm-hmm. you go to church, almost everybody knows she, her. They went over. Yeah, mm-hmm. Still over there. Because, okay. yeah, she. She's the uh, people that goes in there. She was, there. she was out there. She would do whatever she could for the church. Are there, the, what, your point is that somewhere close to here, the church yeah, was? Yeah. It's about less than a mile. Is it? Just, see, you have to. You you had to go. Where did you do? Did you come on Blackhawk? Yes. Or on Scarsdale? Oh no, Scarsdale. I came on. Scarsdale. Okay, so you come to Scarsdale. Juan gave me directions from his house to the church, but they were just a little bit too specific to share. I don't think he'd want me sharing exactly where he lives with the whole world. Also, at this point, you might notice that my voice becomes a little muffled from here on out. That's because my microphone died, and I didn't notice. So you'll be hearing me talking from behind the shotgun mic as we move forward. So do you know, do they still have, I know you said you're not religious when I talked to you last time, because you guys don't go there, but do you know, so she went there, there must be stuff going on at the church all day if she was there volunteering during the days. Oh, yeah. So I wonder if tomorrow if I stop by there, if there'll be people there. Oh, well, you, the age of COVID. (laughs) Oh, right. So I don't know. I don't, they have really changed their hours, no? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what, how they're doing it now. I would love it. If for no other reason, just to, you know, and, as, as and I'm. Some of the, I don't know, it depends who, uh, who would be in the front office 
even those people might know. Might mm-hmm. depends. Yeah, there. anybody that if was, it's an oldie, <laughs> yeah, I probably she'll probably might remember her. If and, it's a young one, yeah. anybody that was friends with her, I'd love to talk to. Even for no but other reason. Like than, I said, there, there were. Uh, it's too bad that the father uh, is no longer there. The priest, right, uh, is no longer there. And but the deacon is not. Yeah, the deacon, but uh, he goes there once in a while because he has a, uh, I think he's... he's oh, a, yeah, help. Yeah, has help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are several in there that a, yeah. uh, I know that they go over there every Sunday, but I'll, I'll look for their number because I know they're... Uh, yeah. That would be great, especially I've been town for one more day if I could catch it. You know, if, if as I said, for no other reason than from what I'm telling the story for, for Catalina to have a voice for people to know who... She is, because I, you know, thankfully I was able to talk to you and we learn a little bit about her. But otherwise, you know, when we, t- when we do these kind of stories, it just, you know, they, the victim turns into a case file and then and the attention is all on the people that, that are in, in prison for it. But, you know, speaking of the church, one, so my, my listeners asked me specifically to ask you that when they were, um, inventorying, the police were inventorying Catalina's apartment. One of the things they noted in the inventory was that she had a framed letter from the Pope. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they want to know one, if you still have that letter and mm-hmm. two, what was, what was it? How did she, how did she end up with a letter from the Pope? Because they had, um, <laughs> I don't know what deed they did in Laredo, but it caught the attention of, uh, I think a cardinal or somebody and it went up the line. Uh-huh. And boom, she got the letter. I got it upstairs. Right there in the hall, in the, uh, whatchamacallit. Oh, is that the one? Oh, is mm-hmm. the one next? That's the one. That's amazing. Before I leave, would it be possible for me to get a picture of that? <laughs> Come on. At this point, I put the mic down and followed Juan up the stairs to look at the letter. He has it proudly displayed in a beautiful golden frame. He let me take a photo of the letter, and it's posted on our website under this episode's case docs. It's not exactly a letter from the Pope, but it is a letter from the Vatican. It's written in Spanish, so I asked our friend Liz Rose to translate for me. This is what it says. The Secretary of the State presents attentive salutations and acknowledges the receipt of the kind letter in which is filled with confidence. Prayers to the Holy Father. The same Secretary has the pleasure of communicating that your request, asking the Lord for His blessings and mercy, and provides for constant help in life and source of Christian hope while imparting the hearts of the apostolic blessing. And with that, I think this is a good place to end on for today. So I thank you guys for listening. I'm sure that we'll have a lot to dissect in this week's follow-up. In the meantime, if you're anywhere around the Cleveland, Ohio area, be on the lookout on my social media for a link to get tickets to the live event that I'm participating in, along with Josh Hallmark from True Crime Bullshit and Nick and the Captain from True Crime Garage. The live discussion and Q&A, unfortunately, is limited to only 35 seats. So if they're not already sold out, you'll want to get your tickets like right now. The link to buy the tickets is already live. Just check out my social media. All profits from the show are going to be donated to endthebacklog.org to help fund DNA testing. Check it out, and I'll talk to you all on Friday.
Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Eden Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Bob Ruff Truth, and Mike can be found at Merb Gaming. M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.